Hello, all you beleaguered dukes and spirited mistresses, and welcome to episode 25 and a whole new year of A Bookish Affair, where we two Shannons will be your fellow travelers through the world of happily ever after. I'm still Shandy, she's still Shannon, and we still love romance. (laughs) And we are still the co-founders of the Lake Oswego Public Library's Romance Book Club, A Bookish Affair. We read and discuss diverse and inclusive love stories every second Sunday of the month at the library when it's open, but on WebEx for the foreseeable future. If you are interested in joining a virtual discussion group, have feedback for us or suggestions for the club or podcast, or maybe you just want to say, hey, check the show notes for our emails and the link to our, to our Bookish Affair page on lopl.org. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Kalapuya, Cowlitz, and Clackamas peoples on which we live, work, and record this podcast. It is a whole new year. (laughs) 2021, I can hardly believe it. How are your holidays, Shannon? I know the people at home have been wondering these two weeks. They want to hear about crab cakes. They want to hear about onesies. They want to hear about Bridgerton. So how were your holidays? <laughs> Happy 2021, everyone. <laughs> yes. Okay. A quick holiday rundown. Our Christmas crab cakes tasted delicious. Christmas dinner was definitely a highlight, as was Christmas Eve dinner and New Year's Eve dinner when we got takeout from a vegan Sri Lankan restaurant in Southeast Portland, Mary Sata. So flipping good. And as for the onesie you speak of, I feel like I I owe an explanation. (laughs) My sister gave me a cashmere jumper, which I affectionately call my fancy adult onesie. Um, I don't know if I would wear it outside my home, uh, but it is so comfy and super cozy. Okay, but finally, like, dude, Bridgerton. Listeners, are you as obsessed as Shandy and I are with Bridgerton? We are actually watching it together uh, using, is it Cener, which allows us, which allows you to watch movies um, and shows while video chatting. It's like a movie party online. It's so cool. I had heard of things like this, but we had, I had never tried one. Um, And we really wanted to watch it with Anya. Uh, who is our dear friend and coworker and boss? She's my boss. Um, and she, uh, anyway, you've heard her name many a time on this podcast. We really wanted to all watch it together, and we were like, okay, how are we going to do this? Are we just going to queue it up and then just text frantically? Um, so, but Cener is really, uh, it's really slick. You can so so you know you're kind of watching on your laptop and. You've got, you know, I've got you and Anya up in the upper right hand corner, um, you know, video chatting. So, but you, you know, you're watching the screen at the same time. And, you know, so then like, for example, you can model your onesie. Um, You and Anya can see me pretending to be a conductor when the orchestra comes in. Uh, You guys can let me know when the orchestra is playing a a contemporary pop song because I haven't... uh, paid attention to contemporary music since like 2009 and so <laughs> I have to say I think that incorporation of like Billy A. Eilish and Maroon 5 in these like period piece setting 
I just think that's so brilliant. It's so cool. It's really clever. Um, and, you know, and that way you can, you know, I'll just be like, oh, that's a fun tune. And you'll be like, is that Billie Eilish? <laughs> like, oh, cool. Yeah, and, you know, you can also like type in the chat if you don't want to, you know, talk over um, over the dialogue. It's, it's very fun. Um, you do have to all have an account on whichever streaming service you're using. In this case, it's Netflix, but it works great. We're having a blast. Um, we are all enjoying this so much. We're kind of hoping Anya will come on the podcast to talk about it with us when yes. we finished our watch. And you and I at least are planning to read the first book in the Bridgerton series, The Duke and I, which is sort of what this first season is based on. We want to, you know, compare and contrast. Of course, this may necessitate multiple watchings of the series so that we do not miss any details. But I, I just don't think that any of us are going to complain about that task. Um, you know, the the only question after that is, what do we watch together next? <laughs> I that is a good question. Um, maybe our listeners have some suggestions for us. Indeed. But I am not opposed to reading and rewatching Bridgerton uh, to compare notes between the book and the and the and the series. You know, especially in the name of research, twist my arm. <clears throat> All in the name of research. <laughs> <laughs> this is just you know this is purely an intellectual and professional endeavor <laughs> okay we're not, not putting this we're not putting this on our timesheets i promise <laughs> anya allison if you're listening don't worry not putting this on our timesheets i mean I think there's so much there's so much to talk about i mean queen charlotte's wigs oh my gosh the wigs are amazing they're unbelievable the featherington's outfits i know they're supposed to be very sort of crass and gauche but I love them. And totally. I, I I understood that they're supposed to be really garish. I, they're beautiful. Yeah. The yellows. The, they're, oh my gosh, they're beautiful. The patterns, like Penelope and her bright red hair wearing pink. I love it. I love it. Oh, it's so good. So, you know, I mean, there's all of that, of course. There's also, you know, how it addresses and doesn't address, you know, uh, race, class, the lives of women, you know, I, I know this is very on brand for me. I, I know that Dukes in high society and rich people are the whole point. Um, and I really do love their outfits. <laughs> but I'd love to see a lot more of the regular people. Like, I get annoyed every time they're like, there's a sweeping shot of them, you know, just sort of like hurrying through the grand hall and up the huge staircase in the Bridgerton's home. Like, oh my gosh, it just, I just get so annoyed. You know, I want to know more about um, about the Duke's best friend, Will, who's a prize fighter, and about his family. I want to know more about Rose. I think her name is Rose, Daphne's lady's maid, about the Bridgerton's housekeeper, um, who definitely puts uh, Eloise in her place at one point in yes. a very excellent moment. Um, you know, there's so much that I want to know. And, and, you know, maybe Downton Abbey kind of spoiled me for that, that sort of upstairs-downstairs kind of situation where in Downton Abbey, the the lives of, of the servants, um, you know, they're their schemings and their their endeavors and their true loves and all that that you know that was just as much and an important a part of the series as as the lives of of um you know the the fancy rich people that they're working for so i i, I would love to see more of that in bridgerton and i i guess i should also say that we we are only on episode five we've just finished episode five episode six i know is from what I've heard, not having read the book, 
before seeing the rest of the series, we are going to encounter a situation that is going to, I, I think there's something that will necessitate some moral wrestling. Um, my understanding is that it's a very, very problematic moment in the book and is dealt with slightly differently in the series, but in a way that's really given some people some pause. So I'm sure that will come up when we discuss it further, um, but we are not quite there yet, which is why we're not addressing it. I am really looking forward to that. Um, I haven't read any spoilers, so <laughs> this is all new for me. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing the series and actually reading the book and, and sort of seeing, you know, how these things are, are treated. You know, I really appreciate how they sort of allude to racial issues or King George's mental health. Um, and it, as if like the audience is right there, it doesn't, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't feel patronizing. Uh, there's definitely a lot of characters who might be more interesting in my mind than Daphne. Uh, but so far I'm enjoying where the show's creators are taking us. And um, I'm curious to see, you know, what they envision down the road and and maybe for even a, a you know season two fingers crossed for at least a season two because there are eight bridgerton books eight bridgerton <sighs> siblings who each have their own book um yeah i mean i'd love to know more about benedict's bohemian artist life like where are they going to take that in the series as opposed to um you know the synopsis that i've read of the book anyway it's Wherever they go with it, it's it's a ride. It is a it is a promenade. Um, <laughs> shall we promenade? <laughs> we are promenade. <laughs> we are promenading. <laughs> it is a spectacle, and um, you know, just really, just wildly entertaining, and um, you know, just something to sort of take your mind off of. Well, and, and it's so interesting how many there are a ton of people. And so I know some of them uh, who are very, very happily binging this show, but would never pick up a romance novel. So I think that's really interesting and probably worth talking about at some point as well. Absolutely. And we, well, we kind of, we sort of talked about this too, because Virgin River is another popular Netflix series that's based on Robin Carr's ser uh, ver uh, series of the same name. Um, and, and again, I think you have the people who, would rather watch it as opposed to read it. So what's the difference between the two? Yeah. And why is one um, more acceptable than the other? Indeed. Yeah. Why, you know, talk about Bridgerton at the water cooler, like water coolers are a thing anymore, but <laughs> the virtual water cooler, but, you know, wouldn't be caught dead reading the Duke and I on the subway. Like very, very interesting. Not that subways are, I mean, <laughs> subways are still a thing. But <laughs> Anyway, all these all these scenarios and metaphors are a little different in a pandemic, but you, you know, you see where we're going with this. Um, I'm yeah, I'm just excited to keep talking about all this stuff. It's what we do. We talk. <laughs> we talk. <laughs> so let's continue talking. Um, we are the water cooler. We are the water cooler. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> So, okay, so, you know, it's a whole new year. Um, and this is the time of year when a lot of us look back on the 12 months previous and look ahead to the 12 months to come. 
both. I don't know if you're a resolution maker in general, Shannon, because I'm definitely not. Uh, the only kinds of resolutions I make at New Year's are reading resolutions. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't really make resolutions. I do set intentions. And yes, I know I'm sort of aware of how bougie that sounds. Or hippie. Hippie bougie. <laughs> anyway, um, but I've never really set a reading resolution before. What does that look like? Or what, what does that mean for you? Well... So I, I am an avid user of Goodreads and I have been for over a decade now. Um, so one thing that I usually do in just a very strict sort of number sense is that I set a reading goal in terms of number of books because Goodreads encourages you to do that. How many books do you want to challenge yourself to read this year? Um, 2020 was the year that I cracked the 200 book for the first time ever in my life. Go you. Thank you. It felt like an accomplishment. Um, yeah, I ended up reading 220. I did one reread and that was uh, the new Lindy West. Um, so I, I read 222 books, 221 titles. Um, anyway, it's always kind of fun to try to guess like how many, how many books will I be able to get through in a year? Like I've never set a goal that I haven't reached, um, but I try to manage you know, sort of try to manage expectations. Like I, I set goals that feel reasonable that I think I'll be able to meet. Um, I'm going to guess that, you know, knowing, knowing that we are still in a pandemic and I will still be home a lot. I set mine for 150 this year. I think my, my, the goal that I had set last year was 120, not knowing that there was going to be a pandemic. And then I crushed that because there was a pandemic and I was home a lot. So I set mine a little bit higher this year. Um, you know, and, and I should just say that for anybody who's alarmed by how much I read in 2020 and wondering if there might be something a little bit wrong with me, um, please remember how many of those books were novellas. So to put that in perspective with some numbers, in 2019, I read 167 books for a total of 44,693 pages. Thank you, Goodreads, for tracking all this for me. Um, in 2020... I read 222 books for a total of 47,371 pages. So I read 55 more books in 2020, but only 2,678 more pages. So well, that's, what that's still an average of 213 pages per book. That's impressive. Uh, thank you. I I did not knew that. do that math. And <laughs> look at you with your calculator. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I do, you know, as you all know, because I talk about them incessantly, I do read an awful lot of novellas and some of them are very, very short. So still, you know, there are still, books on that list. There are, there are books on that list that were 40 pages long. I'm just saying. Anyway, um, it's still a lot of pages. So let's give you credit. And we're not alarmed. We're just jealous. <laughs> well, thank you. I shall, I sh I'm taking a bow right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, but, but of course, and we've been talking about this all year and we're going to continue to talk about it in the years to come. You know, what's, what's more important to me rather than the number of pages I read or the number of books I read. And it is, you know, it's like, it's fun to crack that 200 book you know, ceiling. That's cool. That's a, that's a, that's a fun thing to do. I'm excited about that. But what's more, what's become more important to me 
in the last few years, and especially in 2020, is to make sure that I'm reading diversely. So like how many or what percentage of those 221 different books were by um, were by BIPOC authors, by LGBTQ authors, by Black authors. You know, I have, for about five years now, I've been setting a goal of reading a certain percentage of authors of color, like making sure um, that that percentage was over a certain amount. I think I started with 30%. Um, of of my years reading, uh, I wanted to be authors of color. Um, I started with that a few years ago in 2020. I wanted to make sure that number went over 50, 50%. Um, so anyway, like that. It, 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 we thought it would be fun to get a little introspective in this episode about what, you know, what and how we read in 2020, you know, how did it measure up to what, what and how we wanted to read um, and the, you know, sort of the hopes and goals that we're setting in terms of ourselves, um, and our reading in 2021. So, uh, are you, are you ready for some serious nerd statistics town? It's really okay if you're not, uh, <laughs> no, we, we, we welcome to Nerdville. We are in it with you. I'm in it. Let's do it. Although I don't just, just for people listening, I don't have the same statistics <laughs> that Shandy has. So sit back and be prepared for this amazing ride that is about to come. <laughs> we, I'm excited. we are the mayor and deputy mayor of Nerdville. Um, and those roles switch depending on, you know, depending on oh. what kind of nerd we're talking about today. Today I get to be the mayor. Um, <laughs> so this is, the first time I've ever, I've gotten this sort of granular with my reading statistics. And I should say, I was, I was looking at the, um, I was looking at the Ripped Bodice Diversity Report from last year and their sort of FAQs. And they say, you know, this is not, this is not a perfect system. Um, you know, we, we don't know everything about an author's life. Like you might not know uh, you know, for, uh, so for me, especially with LGBTQ plus authors and books, you know, I, I a, a lot of cis hetero white women write, um, write gay romance, like two men falling in love. And that, is, and I read a lot of those books, <laughs> you know, you've heard me talk about KJ Charles and Kat Sebastian. Um, but, you know, so those aren't like, those aren't really own voices, LGBTQ books. Um, but, also, you know, an author's sexual orientation or place on the gender spectrum is is not something that they're always able able to share for one thing or feel like sharing with the world as is their right. Um, so, you know, there are there are probably authors out there who, uh, you know, who are writing own voices LGBTQ romance, but I don't necessarily know that it's LGB own voices LGBTQ romance. If that makes any sense, yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah, so my LGBTQ category is a little fuzzy. I've put in it books that are by authors who identify as LGBTQ+, regardless of whether they depict, you know, LGBTQ themes and relationships. But I've also included books like those by KJ Charles and Kat Sebastian with central relationships, characters, or themes that are, um, that are LGBTQ plus focused, if that makes sense. It, again, very much not a perfect system, and this is not exactly science. But you know, I, I think it speaks to. It's very important to me, as it is to you, that my reading 
reflect experiences and perspectives outside of my own and reflect the fact that, you know, men have always fallen in love with men and women have always fallen in love with women, even in Regency England, even, you know, uh, and, and those, you know, those books that I love by KJ Charles and Kat Sebastian may not be own voices, but they are still telling a story that is very important. Um, a lot, you know, something else is that a lot of the books on my list fall into more than one category. Um, so I, like I did kind of a complicated thing where I looked at my entire Goodreads um, year in reading and then I, uh, I just like, I just did tally marks. I just, um, you know, so, so for example, Real Life by Brandon Taylor, um, which is a book that we both read and enjoyed. Uh, I put a tally mark for a book by a BIPOC author a tally mark for a book by a Black author and a tally mark for a book by an LGBTQ author that deals with LGBTQ themes. So anyway, many, many tally marks. <laughs> and are you ready for my percentages and my numbers? Sure. Okay. Whew. Okay. Here we go. All right. Out of the 221 titles I read this year, 126 books, that's 57%, are by BIPOC authors. I made my goal of over 50%. Very happy about that. High fives, virtual high fives. Uh, 85 books, uh, that's 38% are by Black authors. Very pleased with that number. 84 books or another 38% are by are by LGBTQ authors or and or focus on um, themes and characters. Um, LGBTQ themes and characters. Uh, four books or just 2% are by Indigenous authors. So that is someplace that like, I'm really glad that I know that because I want that number to go higher in 2021. Um, I read a lot of books by white ladies. So I thought I would count those uh, 76 books or 34% of the books I read last year are by white women. Um, 18 books or 8% are by men. And honestly, like when Joe heard this number, he's like, I'm surprised it's that high. And I was too <laughs> and I should say that that only includes, you know, maybe 10 different authors because I read a bunch of Stephen King and I read a bunch of Stephen Graham Jones. Um, anyway, in case you're wondering, 161 out of those books or 73% of what I read last year were romance. <laughs> I have to say, I feel like the um, indigenous authors and um, uh, certainly romance by men those those are areas that we've talked about before of wanting to increase um, our our own readership and our own under, own knowledge of these authors and these books and these stories. So I'm I'm not to, I'm not surprised to see a deficit there um, because it is something we've talked about it and I think we've talked about it here too. But I just want to say, dang, like. I'm sorry that I have not kept as good records of my reading and I can't promise that I will going forward, but this is like seriously inspirational. I really love it. Um, so great work, great breakdown. And, and I think the, the deficits or those low percentages are things that we could have predicted just given our, our conversations about them before. You're absolutely right. I hadn't, I, I had not thought about it that way, but that is like, we've been talking about that all year. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's good to see those. It's good to see those numbers because it shows you where you need to focus your energy. And like, oh, I'm not complaining. Overall, I'm really pleased. This is the most diverse year of my reading life. And that, you know, that seems right for a number of reasons and a kind of like, you know, it, it's my 40th year on earth and 40 is, is a big deal for a lot of people. I don't feel like it was a huge deal for me, but, um, but you know, that sort of, uh, it, it, you know, it, it felt a little bit poetic, I think. Um, it, it felt like a productive way to have spent a lot of time that I would normally have spent doing things like going to the grocery store or going to Target for one thing and leaving $150 later, um, you know, driving to work, traveling, like all those things that we didn't do very much of this year. You know, I could, I could hazard a guess as to how long my book list would have been, how much longer it would have been if all the time that I spent reading Slate advice columns or, you know, coronavirus statistics, if I had spent that time on reading books, uh, you know, but thinking about that too much is just a little bit demoralizing. So. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't think about that. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but, you know, what's important, what's most important to me in terms of this year's reading is that you and I both spent a lot of time thinking this year about how to be actively anti-racist. You know, as as Ibram Kendi says, it's not enough to not be racist. You have to be actively anti actively anti-racist. And for me, reading and listening to Black and BIPOC and LGBTQ plus voices has always seemed to me to be, to be the most natural way forward on that journey. Um, you know, I I think I've 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 used I've 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 mentioned this quote on the podcast before, but. Uh, Danny Mullen, who's the owner of Semicolon Books in Chicago, still the best bookstore name ever. Um, you know, she was quoted in the New York Times, uh, June 23rd, 2020. She said, I think the way, hmm, excuse me, I think the way to become more anti-racist is first to be empathetic, Ms. Mullen said, and to first be empathetic, read our stories. You know, you and I have been talking about this all year, pretty much. Um, and looking at my numbers, I was frankly relieved to see that I, you know, I, I have been talking that talk, but I was very relieved to see that I'm also walking that walk, you know, <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, I've been reading, I've been working toward a more diverse reading life for many years now. And now we have this book club. Now we have this podcast. We have this, this wonderful opportunity to, um, you know, to sort of be excited and shout about these wonderful stories and maybe some listener somewhere will pick up a book that they wouldn't normally have picked up and you know to to just sort of accompany each other on this journey of introspection and examination of our own privilege and and just that you know that commitment to listening to the stories and the experiences of people whose lives in America have been so very different from ours and, and it, you know, I think it's really important for me and for all of us that a lot of those stories, maybe even 73% of those stories that I'm reading are love stories that they celebrate joy and family and, and smooching and, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So much smooching. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and I feel like with the book club and 
and now the podcast not only is it an opportunity for us i also i also feel it's a it's a responsibility and you know we've we've talked about this at length about how we wanted to do how um how we wanted a bookish affair to include diverse voices and love stories and you and i fell in love with the wide range of of both in romance and and this we're seeing the an increase of it but part of that increase is us just being aware of where to look you know and i i didn't fully understand certain concepts such as intersectionality or privilege i'm embarrassed to say like i had heard the words before but in my ignorance um and again, there's a strong sense of shame in admitting this. I didn't fully grasp what it all meant until this past year. So 2020 has definitely been um, an eye-opening year for me. Uh, there has almost been a reckoning. There's, it's been an incredible year for me just in terms of how whitewashed my world can be if I don't actively seek out other voices and if I don't understand what these terms and experiences actually mean. So I feel like I still have a lot to unpack in terms of my own um, racism, uh, my upbringing and my understanding of the world. And, um, and so, you know, I guess in, in thinking about what our reading goals and resolutions are uh, for 2021, I, for me, my biggest reading goal, intention, resolution, whatever you wanna call it, is to continue what I've learned in 2020 and make it a priority to read, learn about, talk about, um, grapple with, and elevate uh, BIPOC and LGBTQ plus authors, stories, and voices, and really get into what, like the politics of it and how they affect each and every one of us. Like, so that's where it's like, you know, being having this podcast and sort of our intention with it definitely has been an opportunity for us to expand that but now it feels like a responsibility and i'm i'm so excited about that like i i take it very seriously but i'm very i feel very motivated by it i guess another reading goal would be to finish those darn reading challenges we've set during the course of this podcast and these and, and and these exploration of themes and authors like for example i i ordered myself the remainder of the decades series titles because i'm like i have to finish these and this is i have the books in my hand i know that i'll i'll do it so no excuses so i really want to complete that challenge that is important to me um and i i I don't know why I've given myself another challenge, but I was looking at Beverly Jenkins bibliography and I was like, dang, this woman is prolific. So another goal is to read through Beverly Jenkins backlist. But um, so yeah, I'm. you gave us statistics and you gave us a lot of food for thought. What are your reading goals for 2021? First off, I was really inspired when you texted me about your Beverly Jenkins challenge idea. And I laughed a little bit because in that whole episode where we talked about challenges and you were like, I don't know if 
challenges are really the thing for me. And then it's just like challenge after challenge. Some of them issued by you. And I love it. Um, so anyway. True. <laughs> so Don't take I, my word on anything. <laughs> I decided that I wanted to join your uh, your Jenkins challenge. And I, um, you know, in typical Shannon, Shandy fashion, you in a very orderly way are starting with her first published book, uh, Night Song. And I'm starting with like whatever one I happen to already have checked out from Multnomah County Library, which was Topaz. Um, happens to be the book that when I went to the Ripped Bodice in December 2019, saw uh, I talked to Rebecca Weatherspoon for a long time and it was, you know, really one of the highlights of my life as a romance reader. Um, but I asked her where I, I told her about the book club because we were just about to start it at that point. And I said we were starting with rebel and i asked her where she would start or like what her favorite beverly jenkins books were and she uh, topaz was the one that she recommended the most enthusiastically so i've had that book checked out on and off ever since um but it was it never felt like quite the right time i jumped back into it a couple of days ago inspired by you know your challenge and it is it is pretty much exactly what i want to be reading right now right right book right time right place so I'm excited. I can't remember where it falls in the chronology of her backlist, but I'm excited for you to get there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to say, like, I'm a total nerd about organization and order. So that's why I like order things alphabetically or chronologically. But I feel like at this point in my life and as I get older, it just feels more and more like a compulsion. Um, just yeah, just more and more pronounced. And like, I just, I, I find myself categorizing these things all the time. It's weird. It really is a, I don't know. Anyway, but I, maybe I should throw caution to the wind and start wherever. I mean, I did read Sexy Dangerous uh, this past summer and that title falls in the middle of Jenkins' bibliography. You are a wild thing. <laughs> hashtag crazy <laughs> but you know and and I, I i love what you said about the responsibility um because the responsibility doesn't have to be like it, it can be something that you do with joy and it can be yeah it's not it's not a burden this is not some responsibilities are burdens this is not a burden this is right. uh this is just an opportunity and i love it, it's, you know, it really, it really helps me to think of the way I read um, as being a facet of, of my commitment to justice. You know, that's, that's, that's become very, very important to me. Um, and so, so yeah, like you said, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I, you know, looking at those numbers, it shows me where I want to seek out the diverse voices that I haven't, um, you know, I, I did great in some areas and I, but I would love to read more books by indigenous authors this year. I really want to get that number up, you know, Stephen Graham Jones, his, um, his scary books, uh, the only good Indians. And then a couple of, um, I read a couple of short story collections, which were awesome. Those are huge standouts for me this year. Um, you know, really wonderful. There are so many native authors with new books out um, I really want to read um, Louise Erdrich's Birchbark House series with Claire. I read the first three a couple of years ago. There's a middle grade novels and it's kind of a, it's intended actually as a response to Little House on the Prairie. 
Um, and it actually, the characters are inspired by Louise Erdrich's own ancestors, like her um, great, 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 great grandmother. I can't remember exactly how many greats, but they're wonderful books. I love them. Um, the first one is called The Birchbark House. Uh you know, this is, this has been a years, like, here's something else that's been a years long goal, one that I've fallen short of every year, is to read more own voices LGBTQ plus romance, like I was talking about earlier. I'm not going to give up on Cat Sebastian or KJ Charles, there's room for that work too. Um, but, you know, we talked about our September book, we talked about, like, Let's Talk About Love uh, by Claire Can, Felix Ever After by Casey Callender. We still haven't chosen which of those books we're going to read with the book club, but I'm really excited to read them both. And, um, you know, and, and to read more YA in general, I think romance, like, it's like you always say, romance and YA are the places where authors are being, you know, they are being bold about the yeah. stories they tell and they are addressing difficult topics in a way that's, that's very real and respectful, but also leaves room for love and joy and smooching and happily ever afters. And, you know, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful place uh, to sort of put your reading energy. And I, I want to, I want to do more of that this year. Absolutely. And, and I do feel that YA is a very super diverse area, just in terms of the stories that you find there. Um, And I do feel like sometimes in YA, they're more willing to take risks uh, than adult fiction. Uh, But I, I totally agree. YA and, and romance are where I feel like there's a pushing of the boundaries that you don't get often in other, like there's these sweeping stories that you get in like, you know, literary fiction. Uh, but there's something about romance and YA that I just feel just there's a little more courage. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm like making generalizations, but anyway, it's just like, I love that about YA romance. Oh, so good. Yay. All right. So folks, those are our reading goals, or at least some of them for the year. We will certainly be talking about more of them as the year goes on, but we would love to hear what yours might be. Do you, do you try to read a certain number of books every year are you, um, you know, are you working toward reading more diversely in 2021? Tell us what, uh, find us on the internet and and tell us all about these things. We want to hear them. Um, okay. And now it's time for our first, what are we reading now and next of 2021? So Shannon, go. What are you, tell us. <laughs> uh, okay. I finished Sarah McLean's A Bare Knuckle Bastard series uh, last week. Should I have beeped out? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, a, uh, yeah, it, it's borderline, but it is like, it is a term of. It is. Yeah. And it's the name of the series. And it's the name of the series. Uh, yeah, I think we're good on that one. I, I really did enjoy that that series quite a quite a lot actually. The spunk of the protagonists is infectious. I really love them. Uh, at your recommendation, I listened to "Shh" actually <laughs> by Lindy West and enjoyed that greatly. My partner went on to listen to both "Shrill" and "The Witches Are Coming," and he has implored me to listen to those. 
I love her voice. I love her intonation. So I, I, I do need to make the time. But I've kind of been like watching, you know, Bridgerton. I watched a couple of episodes of Virgin River. I started Normal People by Sally Rooney, but I haven't exactly made it past the first chapter. So it's like, do I try harder or accept that now is not the time? This sort of feels like my TV break. So I don't know. Uh, Shami, what are you reading? I'm very excited that Jay is getting into Lindy West. Um, That's awesome. Those essay collections are so good. So funny. I, I, I just remember the in the first one or two pages of the first essay in Shrill, um, she brings up this character from Disney's animated Robin Hood um, from the 70s, which is a childhood favorite of mine. Um, this feminist chicken, Lady Cluck. I don't know if you remember Lady Cluck, but, uh, you know, as soon as she brought up Lady Cluck, I knew I was just going to love Lindy forever. <laughs> yeah, Jay is definitely enamored with Ms. West. <laughs> Uh, he loves her intelligence, her wit, her point of view. He, f- he said that he felt like he learned uh, so much. And I think her thoughts on body politics really struck a chord. So, yeah, I need to get on board. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, what are you reading these days? Are you Did you read any more holiday romance? I did read one more holiday romance after our last episode. That was The Swan by Piper Hughley. Um, so like, it, I, was, I was looking on my Kindle. And I was like, wait a minute. Here's a Piper Hughley that I have, that I own, but have not read. Like, Merry Christmas to me. <laughs> it was so exciting. So um, it's part of this series called The 12 Days of Christmas Mail Order Brides, um, which is a, quite a mouthful. Uh, and it is a 12 book series of historical romances. Each one is by a different author and each one is inspired by one of the 12 days of Christmas. Um, yeah, very cute. I don't know that I, uh, you know, they're all sort of tied together by this group of, of mail order brides that end up going to this small town in either Colorado or Wyoming that I can't remember. Um, and, uh, Anyway, I really like this one. I don't know if I will commit to reading the entire series, but it, you never know what I might do next December. Um, <laughs> definitely, you know, it's not my favorite Piper Hughley, but it, it, anything that Piper Hughley writes is is so much more wonderful than almost anything else that I could read. So, you know, um, after that, and a little bit weirdly for me, I kind of took a break from reading romance during the last couple of weeks of the year. Um, I reread, actually, uh, just as great as it was the first time. I laughed just as hard. Um, it's very unusual these days for me to reread anything, but I don't remember the last time I read a book twice in one month. <laughs> um, I also did another reread at the end of the year, and this is sort of romance it's definitely very romance adjacent um i reread anya seaton's catherine for the first time in several years and as i've mentioned on this podcast many times before this was one of the books you know having read it at a tender age that ensured that i would someday become a massive historical romance fan um but i was really struck in this reread by some fascinating stuff that i had not necessarily picked up on during the previous rereadings um of which there have been, you know, three or four in my life. Um, it 
you know, you kind of get very caught up when I was younger, I certainly got very caught up in the, you know, the drama and the back and forth of the love story. Um, there's a lot more going on in this book. Uh, one thing I noticed is that the hero, John of Gaunt, and like every character, almost every character in this book is an actual historical figure. So this is based on an actual relationship that happened. Um, he is the embodiment of the kind of alpha duke that I really just can't abide. He's possessive. He's grouchy. He's remote. Uh, he always thinks he's right. You name it. It's just like he quite literally kidnaps Catherine, the heroine. Um, and, and like just because she ends up being happy about it does not mean you should not ask. <laughs> like, do you want to go to the Pyrenees with me now that we're both widowed? It is a simple question. <laughs> All you have to do is ask it. Like, as for Catherine, I love her pluck and her sort of moral wrestling and definitely her outfits. But I got I got really frustrated with her parenting. Why? Why, why, why would you betroth your 14-year-old daughter to an old guy she doesn't want to marry when it has only been about 14 years since that exact same thing happened to you? Like suddenly you know best. You don't think your sister and everybody else knew best when they married you off to that gross old dude? Like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, I also I dislike the way that Catherine's love for John consumes her in such a way that she forgets everything else. Like, you know, he doesn't feel the same way. And he's always saying stuff like, uh, uh, which is not to say that he doesn't love her deeply. He does. But he's always saying stuff like, well, I should certainly hope that my love life doesn't interfere with the running of the country. Like, what a terrible shame that would be to think of a woman first. And oh, I can't have that. And, you know, there's also this there's a ton of fascinating sort of sociopolitical stuff that's going on. Uh, you know, serfs were rioting, lollards were lollarding. This book, I can't really call this book subversive because it's too forthright to be subversive. Anya Seton was really saying some important stuff here about feudalism and serfdom and freedom and the notion that one person can own another. There's this moment where Catherine is like, but the serfs are better off because we take care of them. It's like we're the parents and they're the children. And this grouchy friar, William Appleton, uh, who's a very interesting character, he, he says, this is the argument people have been using to justify slavery since ancient Babylon. Brother William definitely needs to chill with the fire and brimstone in other, uh, other areas, but he is totally right on this score. Definitely high-fived him in my mind. You know, later on, Catherine comes... To the, to the realization that he's right and she starts to free her serfs and she starts to run her lands very well and fairly and the people who work for her are now paid and they are uh, you know they, they are happy and they have agency and free will and you know I don't think that it's coincidence that this happens during a period where she is separated from her true love from John of Gaunt you know and the people who who work that land and who used to resent her very understandably, like they now come to love and admire her. And you see this through Catherine's changing perspective. You see, Anya Seton just makes it very clear how flawed and often terrible the English government was in the middle ages. And, and it's also just such an immersive portrait. I'm sorry, I'm really going on and on about this, but I, I had so many thoughts while I was reading it. It's just such an immersive portrait of life during that time, I mean, the places and the fashions and the sounds and the smells and the food and the plague boils, I, I truly could not put it down. So weirdly, even though the romance has become really frustrating and I don't swoon over the characters the way I used to, it still seems so 
masterful to me. And I was so impressed with it and so swept away um, by the reading of it. And I told my mom all of this and she said she's going to reread it this year. I like I promise to report back on how many times that will be for her. But if it's fewer than a dozen, I will eat my sideless apricot velvet surcoat trimmed in fox fur. Hashtag medieval fashion. Hashtag totally joking about the fox fur. Don't own any surcoats. I just, <laughs> I just love it. Should they keep talking about this apricot velvet surcoat? And I don't even really know what a surcoat is, but I want one. Uh, <laughs> I want my whole wardrobe to be apricot velvet. Anyway. <laughs> I always enjoy those rereads just to see how the you of today connects with the story that the you of yesteryear just like absolutely loved. Or, you know, or rather, like, what are the different aspects of the story we connect to at different times in our life? And, but also how our own understanding of some of the more political themes is better attuned to what the author is trying to communicate. I don't know. I just, I read some books. I, I, I read some books as an adolescent that I have reread as an adult and, and, and was amazed by what went over my head but also how my understanding of some of the more complex themes uh, grew based on, you know, my own experiences and my own growth. But um, So yeah, those rereads are actually kind of important. It's really interesting to think about this, especially as, you know, I, 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 I've worked in high schools. I know what kids read in high schools these days. And, and sometimes, and sometimes I'm like, oh, that's really cool that you read that. And sometimes I think, but you definitely didn't understand it because you're 15. (laughs) I remember reading Anna Karenina when I was 14, because it was one of my mom's favorite books. That went, that book flew so far over my head. Like I, I I could not even see any of, of the things that were, (laughs) and it wasn't until I read it again, several years later that I began, I even began to understand any of what was going on in that book or um, like in Into the Wild by John Krakauer, which is a book that I read for an English class my senior year of high school. I was 17. And I remember, you know, I was like, oh, you know, poor Christopher, he just wants to live his own life and have a great adventure and not be constrained by the bounds of society. And then and then I reread it again about 15 years later. And I had done a complete 180. And all I could think was, look what you were doing to your family, young man. And so I like I wonder if I would split the difference if I read it again today. It's so interesting to think about that stuff. And, you know, not to throw us another challenge, because I know that's just what you need in your life, but this would be a small one. We you and I have talked before about swapping those sort of gateway romances, you know, the ones we talked about in our very first podcast episode. And, you know, so you reading Catherine by Anya Seton and uh, I can read How to Knit a Love Song, which I believe is the one that you went with as sort of that gateway one. And then, you know, then we can talk about it on this podcast like we talk about everything else. (laughs) All right. We will we will coordinate a time for that. Just a tiny challenge. We could do it later in the year after, you know, we've got a lot Maybe after decades. After decades. I like that idea. You know, we've got quite a lot to be getting along with. And and Beverly Jenkins is going to take us all year for sure. That's um, going to take us a while. Yeah, for sure. All right. We'll, just, we'll pace ourselves. That's 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 important. OK, uh, it's time to start winding up. But 
we have not given you a punny romance title in a few weeks. And I wanted to make sure we included that in this episode. So I looked back at my 2020 reads and I remembered Knit One, Girl Two by Shira Glassman. Hey, I feel like we've talked about this briefly before, but not in terms of the fantastic punny romance title. It is, it's perfect. Yes, it is perfect. We addressed its general delightfulness, its focus on the fiber arts, um, but I think we neglected to tip our hats to its most excellent title, which I guess is only, you know, you can, you really only sort of get the wordplay if you are a knitter or you know a little bit about knitting, um, but this book is made for you. <laughs> um, I, I do want to read it. I need a follow-up. I also need to knit more. Is this like another intention for 2021? Oh, God. Oh, the intentions. So intentional. Oh, dear listeners, our time grows short, but you can always find us on the internet. What did you do for the holidays? Did you make, do you make resolutions? Reading or otherwise? How did you feel about your 2020 reading? What are you reading now? We'd love to hear from you. You can find our emails on the Bookish Affair page on LOPL.org. You can comment on an LOPL social media post. Um, or you can find us on Bookstagram. And I see you, Shannon, posting a lot more stuff on Bookstagram. I see you. Your posts, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's still pretty pathetic. I don't know why we're still talking about my Bookstagram, because I really just have not done anything with it that's not so true embarrassing. you did a top 10 you you did your top 10 and so that's at the knitterly bookworm and mine is shandy b reads and i might post something there eventually too <laughs> but the point is that those you, you did you did post and what did you post about i posted about our january book club discussion the Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite, uh, the FF astronomer artist, historical romance of my dreams. Um, so I did post about that. And if you listeners out there, if anyone would like to join us for our discussion on Sunday, January 10th at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, I would encourage you to seek us out in one of those ways that we just mentioned and uh and join us we are i promise we're really nice <laughs> yes we are nice <laughs> we'd love to hear from you we'd love for you to join us on sunday too <laughs> and sometimes we get calls on the reference line and there's nothing we can do <laughs> it's just it's an amazing technology and I'm so grateful that we have it. It's a virtual phone, but sometimes it rings even on my days where I'm not answering the phones and it does this weird like fade out of anything else that's happening on the screen. And all I hear is the ringing. Uh, fortunately, I've been assured that you can't hear it on your end, <laughs> but it's all I hear on my end. So whatever Shannon said, like I'm, so yeah, this this is how 2021 is shaping up. Thank it's a so much. It's a slice of life. It this it, it was a slice of life. <laughs>
Uh, Happy New Year! (laughs) Hi everyone, and happy 2021! We couldn't do this podcast without we couldn't do this podcast without the help of a few awesome folks. We are grateful to Allison Arnold and Anya Woodhouse for being our rocks and our champions. <laughs> and for taking care of everyone in the library. Rick Lyons for giving us this crazy idea in the first place and making us believe we could do it. Chris Barrett for being a national treasure, Chris Myers for good travel, Kira Taylor for cheerfully acquiring just about anything we ask her to, Noel Allison, Amy Grimes, and Todd Mecklen for answering all of our emails and making us look good on social media. Special thanks to Noel, Jill, and Steve for always listening to the end. Where am I? Evie is our boot. Nope. Everyone at LPL has, provi- has provided so much encouragement and support. Evie is our biggest cheerleader. We hope all podcasters have a super fan like her. Claire D does our credits and corrections. Thanks, Justin and Joe, our very own romance heroes. We'll go to the Pyrenees and, uh, with you anytime. Just please ask, a- ask first. <laughs> and thanks most of all to our book club members and podcast listeners who keep us inspired and always searching for the next Hadley after. Bye.